Welcome to the Amaze Podcast. Amaze creates free educational videos and resources to help families talk openly, honestly, and less awkwardly about sex, health, relationships, and growing up. Our goal is to help you become an askable parent so your kids trust that you're their go-to for honest, non-judgmental information. In today's episode, I chat with the amazing Phyllis Fagel, a licensed clinical professional counselor, certified professional school counselor, and journalist. Phyllis is the author of Middle School Matters, the 10 key skills kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond, and how parents can help. And in this episode, we talk about building character and confidence during hard times, how friendships and the social landscape are playing out during the pandemic, productive ways to lean into feelings, and how parents and caregivers can best support kids who are experiencing big feelings. Let's have a listen. Welcome, Phyllis Fagel. I am so excited to have you on the podcast today. Hello. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, I'm so appreciative of you taking the time out today. You're a busy lady. (laughs) And actually, just to give um, our listeners a sense of really exactly how busy you are, I would love if you could just share a little bit about your backstory, the work you do in schools, um, your work as an author, uh, just if you can give us a kind of brief sweep. I'm actually connecting with you from the K-8 independent school in D.C. where I work as a school counselor. And we are in person, which I know is unusual for many schools right now. And I'm also, as you mentioned, the author of a book called Middle School Matters. And I write for the Washington Post and other publications, mostly about child development and education. Yes, I I love your book so much. Um, And we had chatted back when it came out, too. And Let's dive right in because you start, the way you start the book, I just love it. You talk about the foundation of values and integrity. Values like always seems like such a sort of lofty and hard thing for parents to talk about. It's actually not (laughs) as hard as it seems, I think. But anyway, in the intro, you talk about middle school being, quote, messy, dramatic, and confusing at times, but it's also the perfect time to proactively build character and confidence. So I'm curious, in the context of all of this craziness right now, do you feel like character and confidence building has even been possible? What is happening? What are you seeing with kids right now? (laughs) You know, I think in the middle of any crisis, there is opportunity and this pandemic is no exception. I have seen so many examples of middle schoolers exhibiting strong character of doing the right thing. And one of the beautiful things about teaching kids integrity and honesty and compassion and generosity and all of those good things is that when kids view themselves as strong enough to do the right thing, they actually are more resilient. They're not Mm. only more likely to support someone else, they're far less likely to be targeted by somebody. Wow. That is, that is really, that's, that's very cool. That's good to know. Um, well, so, you know, first on the list, you, you this book is all about key skills. You have 10 key skills that kids need to thrive in middle school and beyond. And, you know, one of those things is making good friendships. And I love that you devote five chapters to social skills. I especially feel like right now, um, or oftentimes, you know, social skills are almost a little more important than <laughs> the sort of academic worries that parents will have. Um, and you also include a chapter on handling shifting friendships. So I'm curious you know, given the limitations of what hap- what's happening right now, I know you, you said you're in school, but have you been seeing creative ways that kids have managed to sustain their relationships and, you know, keep, keep those friendships strong during these tough, limited times? One of the 
consistent themes of the pandemic, whether kids are in a hybrid program, whether they're virtual, whether they struggled socially before the pandemic or not, is that all kids right now are struggling. The, mm. the way that they are being forced to interact with one another or not interact with one another is so counter to their developmental needs. And the masks make it harder to read social cues at a time when kids are hypersensitive as it is. The inability to resolve conflicts in person is, it, you know, strikes terror into the souls of middle schoolers mm -hmm. who already are paranoid that maybe that friend who blocked them on social media for some perceived offense will never talk to them again. And so as a counselor and as parents trying to help kids feel connected, feel a sense of belonging during this time has been incredibly challenging. And one thing that I keep telling parents is to recognize that all kids are not the same and all kids have different needs. And so if you have a really introverted kid who might actually have found the pandemic somewhat of a relief mm -hmm. because middle school is intense to navigate all of those social interactions all day long and then maybe after school as well and then on social media, for those kids, some of them have only felt social pressure when parents started to get concerned that they weren't socializing enough and were pressuring them. And then they might have felt that they were disappointing someone. So I've been reminding parents that for those kids, while we want them interacting with kids at least once every few days, uh, face to face, it doesn't necessarily have to be a same age peer. And it doesn't necessarily have to rise to the level of that extroverted child of your friends who seems to be having Netflix parties or socially distanced <laughs> bike rides every other day. So keeping in mind that kids' needs are different. For the extroverted kids, I have been urging parents to keep a close eye on how they're interacting with their friends. My biggest concern with these kids, beyond just the fact that their social needs are not getting met under the current circumstances, is that in a bid to have that feedback, to have that attention from peers, sometimes they're drumming up a little bit more drama then mm. is pro-social and I don't want them to blow up friendships so that when this is over, they have damaged their reputation or hurt somebody else. And then there's this last group of kids and these are the kids who have social skill deficits and they are really struggling during the pandemic because it's hard enough for them to interact with peers in person, let alone in a Zoom class. And so if parents are noticing that their child is not interacting appropriately with their friends, whether it's during a video game or while they're outside, maybe they're trying to impress somebody instead of trying to find common ground or they're having trouble entering a conversation. This is a time to really help them develop some of those concrete practical skills. Mm, wow, that is, I hadn't really thought about the bucket so clearly like that. And, um, you know, it, it, I am wondering, so I have no idea if anyone is researching this or collecting preliminary data. You know, you mentioned that online school can actually be better, um, you know, for introverts or, you know, kids maybe de depending on learning style. Uh, you know, I've read some articles about kids, some kids are actually thriving in the current um, scenario. But what are your thoughts about, you know, are there positives of not being in school regarding social problems? Like, have you seen anything? Has the landscape of bullying changed? I mean, has it actually gotten worse because it's all digital or is it better because people aren't in person? Um, you know, I, I really have no idea if there's any, you know, research being done on that. You know, it's raised so many new issues. Yes, there definitely are kids who, especially ones who didn't experience a lot of social success or who were targeted, who find 
remote learning to be a relief. It's a break. I think that raises a whole other set of issues about what we need to do when we go back to Mm -hmm. avoid a situation where kids would rather not be in school. I think for some kids who are really socially adept, even those kids are telling me they feel extremely awkward when they are in person with their friends. Mm -hmm. And so we want to make sure that all kids have opportunities to be with peers and to practice those social skills. I've been really advising teachers to organize groups or lunches, especially for kids who might not be getting invited to play video games or to do things with peers outside of school, just to give them a structured opportunity to to create that sense of community for them and allow them to interact and practice interacting. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing that I have found, you know, I have kids um, in grade school and high school, and I found that, you know, I think that because... Um, so much more effort is required to connect now. It just seems to me, anecdotally anyway, that friendships are kind of bound to change. You know, you're going to naturally be spending more time with whoever's in your cohort or, you know, it it just, or whether it's like inviting people into a game. So how can we talk to our kids about changing friendships and changing relationships if they're on the side where their feelings are hurt? That's such a good question, and it is so incredibly painful for mm. kids. And I like to remind students that even in normal times, there's a lot of shifting and churning in friendships. The research shows that only two-thirds of friendships make it from fall to spring of sixth grade. Wow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Only 1% of friendships make it from seventh grade to twelfth grade. If you ask kids to nominate their best friend only half of those nominations are reciprocated and 12% of sixth graders have no one list them as a friend. Mm. And then you have to add on top of that, the fact that as you make that transition from elementary to middle school and kids are trying on different identities, they might want to expand out and try hanging out with different kids. They might be hitting puberty faster or be more socially savvy. So suddenly kids who are really comfortable with their friends can feel like fish out of water with kids they've known their whole life. And there's such a loss that comes along with that. And it can be as painful as being dumped by a friend. Mm. And so helping kids manage that is, is really a challenge for the adults who love them. It's almost more painful to experience it vicariously. Mm-hmm. But I like to remind parents that all of that shifting and churning is just confirmation that it's not personal, that this is the hard work kids are doing in this Mm -hmm. time period during this phase to figure out what they need from a friend, what they can give to a friend. And if they don't hit those stumbling blocks and figure all of that stuff out now while the stakes are low, they won't be as adept at choosing good relationship partners, at knowing when to leave a job with an abusive boss or whatever it happens to be. So as painful as it is, it is kind of a rite of passage for them. And I share those statistics with students because they too find them reassuring. As alarming as they are to parents, kids hear those numbers and realize, oh, this isn't me. This really is everybody. Yes. I know it always feels worse when, you know, you're kind of swirling in it. Wow, that is is so interesting. Well, so I want to shift just a little bit to um, talking about emotions. Uh, You know, I, I wanted to the positioning on this podcast is friendships and feelings because, oh my gosh, so many feelings. Um, You know, you talk in your book um, about self-regulating emotions. It's actually number seven on your list of key skills that kids sort of need to get a hold, a handle on in order to thrive in middle school and beyond. And um, I guess it's probably the understatement of the year to say that right now (laughs) is seriously the time of so many feelings. (laughs) And I would be curious to know 
if you have thoughts or advice about kind of productive ways that kids can lean into those feelings. I'm I'm asking this as somebody who emotionally tamped down their feelings for many decades and is now learning that it's really important to lean into them. <laughs> so, Yes. And, you know, and I think it's helpful to understand the developmental phase. So kids in middle school are far less adept at identifying what they're feeling than older teens are. Mm. They're much less likely to share with their parents when they're in distress or even to be fully aware of what's going on in their internal life. They're not that great at asking for help. And if they do ask for help, they often turn to a peer and it's often inappropriate and too much for a peer. And that's in normal times. Right now, Uh, when everyone is struggling, it's even more ill-advised to turn to, you know, a fellow 11-year-old if you're having really dark feelings. Mm -hmm. And so one of the most powerful ways to help a kid is to really reflect what you're seeing and what you're hearing and helping them develop a feelings vocabulary. Because if all you can do is say, I'm overwhelmed or I'm totally stressed out, there's not much you can do with that. You can't get to the problem solving stage. Whereas if you can distinguish between feelings like frustrated and bored and tired and stressed and lonely and discouraged and all of the other feelings that we know everyone is cycling through right now, well, then you can actually figure out what might make you feel better. So if, for example, a kid got into a really big fight with their best friend, mm-hmm. calling up a friend, another friend to rehash the fight and try to you know, get them to align with their side and their position and to just continue to play it out over and over again might not be that helpful. It might actually get them more riled up. But if they can identify that they're feeling pretty lonely and isolated, then calling a friend would be the best choice. So not only helping kids get in touch with their feelings, but helping them recognize that different coping strategies work in different scenarios and really pointing it out to them. Yeah, that's really helpful. I think um, naming the feeling is is so important. And certainly, um, I actually have a feelings chart in my office. You'll be happy. I love that. <laughs> like I love one feelings of those. wheels, too. <laughs> um you know, I, I suspect there's quite a bit of variability around it, but uh, would you say like, you know, people are always saying, oh, kids just work it out, like work it out. You know, when it comes to friendships and conflict and, you know, if a kid is having strong feelings, like, do you have a sense of what is a ballpark developmentally appropriate age for them to try to tackle that on their own, like versus bringing a parent into it to try to talk parent to parent to resolve something? So even kids as young as second or third grade can start practicing resolving conflicts on their own. And in fact, if parents get involved, often it will make the other child bristle and it will hurt them Mm -hmm. socially. Mm -hmm. And so even from a young age, we want to be getting in the habit of help. We can coach our kids and help them consider what they might say and what might be helpful versus hurtful. And we can come back and help them if they can't resolve it on their own. But I do think from a young age, we want to be encouraging our kids to use those I statements to be upfront and assertive and set those boundaries and establish what they need from a friendship and also to be flexible themselves, to not always have to be the one who is deciding what you do with your friend, you know, thinking about maybe playground interactions with very young kids. But by middle school, for sure, they, the kids are not going to want their parents solving those problems for yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Can you just, um, for our listeners, just um, can you give a couple examples of an I statement just so they can hear? Because a lot of our parents, they want to know kind of exact sample sure. language. It's just helpful, <laughs> you know, to hear it. So uh, an I statement might be, I feel really left out when I ask to 
play to join your game and you don't answer me. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. That's a really common one right now. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and that's not yeah. to say that we can't give kids an assist and that we can't help them. And often the school can help as well, even if it's just by thoughtfully pairing kids. And I've had some situations during the pandemic where with middle schoolers, even where maybe they're new to the school or they're a little more awkward or a little more shy. And they've been open to the idea of having, you know, I've been calling it a wing human, somebody Mm -hmm. who's a little more outgoing and who's really empathetic, who's willing to give them an assist. And that's been working really, really well. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. All right. Well, the last question I wanted to ask you, you know, this has been, um, a year, like it's basically a year mm-hmm. of just a string of disappointments, one after another, lost milestones and <laughs> events and things of all stripes. So do you have any kind of top line recommendations for how parents can be- and caregivers can best support, you know, when kids are dealing with just super sad or angry, disappointed emotions? I think it always behooves us to start with empathy. And I think it's pretty easy to empathize with that loss that kids are feeling right now. Mm. We as parents are anxious. We are feeling that loss. We are bored. You know, somebody asked me the other day, how are you? I said, I'm both bored and boring. You know, (laughs) we just don't have a lot going on. And just validating for your child that yes, this is hard but also trying to instill what I would call realistic optimism. So we don't want to blow fake sunshine in their face. You know, we're going to lose all of our credibility if we do that, Mm -hmm. but to maybe help them look for some silver linings and, or at least shades of gray, you know, what, what do you think you have learned from this time period? Have you been able to really figure out who your friends are and who you enjoy hanging out with? Or maybe you've concluded that, sense of humor is something that you lean on when you're feeling low and you've developed some new coping strategies, but really helping kids understand that even in these darker times, there can be these slivers of joy and that they can learn and grow from these experiences. And there's research that to me is reassuring as the parent of three kids, including a seventh grader, showing that kids who have to deal with forced periods of adversity, uh, maybe graduating in a depression, in a during a depression, for example, when it's harder to get a job, actually have more joy and satisfaction and gratitude throughout their life. Mm, wow. That is, that's actually, you know, that's a very uplifting <laughs> thought. And it's really, you know, it kind of gives me hope for what our kids will find on the other side of this. I mean, I do think it's it's helping them become stronger in, in di- different ways, despite how difficult it is. And, and also, you know, I think about even from the parents' perspective, my kids have been out of school for just about a year at this point. And a week or so ago, they, one of my kids, my seventh grade son had an hour football practice outside. It was his first time really playing a sport or even going mm. to the school that he mm-hmm. typically attends in nearly a year. And I wanted to cry from gratitude. It was just such a moving moment for me to give him that little slice of normalcy. And I hope that all of us, kids and adults, when this is over, will hang on to that. You know, we'll really realize that the big stuff is the small stuff and the small stuff is the big stuff. Yes. Agree. Agree. Absolutely. Phyllis, this has been just such a delight to talk to you. Um, Is there anything else you want to share before we sign off today? I know it's such a hard time. And fortunately, we are on the descent at this point. And I just want to let all of the parents who are listening know that simply by being a consistent, loving presence, 
your child is benefiting from whatever you are doing and however you are helping them. There are no right answers at all in any of this. Mm, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your business, busy schedule and for sharing your wisdom and compassion and empathy on our show today. Thank you so much, Phyllis. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To find more free educational resources from Amaze, including videos, book recommendations, conversational scripts, and more, visit amaze.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Amaze Parents, and on Twitter at Amaze.org. And we'd be so grateful if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.